Hey, welcome back to part two of sickle cell disease in pregnancy. In this session, we're going to cover topics like routine prophylactic blood transfusions and when should delivery occur in the sickle cell patient. We got lots to cover, so let's get started. Patients with sickle cell should be told early on in pregnancy to avoid precipitating factors that can trigger a crisis. This can include exposure to extreme temperatures, dehydration, and even overexertion. Now, there's something very important, especially in the first trimester, and that's nausea and vomiting of pregnancy. Persistent vomiting can lead to dehydration, which can lead to a crisis. So it's very important for women with sickle cell in the first trimester to get their nausea and vomiting under good control. Also, women should have a first trimester ultrasound, obviously if they present before the first 14 weeks. Also, an anatomy scan of the fetus should be done around 20 weeks, and then after 24 weeks, consideration should be given to rate of growth ultrasounds every four weeks, since these women are at increased risk of fetal growth restriction. Now let's get into the issue of blood transfusion with sickle cell patients in pregnancy. Historically, patients with sickle cell disease were offered routine or prophylactic transfusion of packed red blood cells in an attempt to decrease or prevent sickle cell crisis while pregnant. Well, now, routine prophylactic transfusions is actually not recommended by most professional societies due to the increased risk of iron overload and alloimmunization. However, this does not apply to acute exchange transfusions, which may be required for the treatment of acute, severe sickle cell complications, including acute chest syndrome. When blood is given, it should of course be matched for the extended phenotype, including full recess typing as well as cal typing. Blood used for transfusion in pregnancy should also be cytomegalovirus negative. Let's dive into this issue of transfusion a little bit more deeply. Early studies did recommend prophylactic transfusion during pregnancy as there seemed to be a decrease in maternal morbidity and perinatal mortality among those transfused compared with historical controls. But there are appreciable risks associated with transfusion in the heavily transfused patient cohorts, including alloisoimmunization delayed transfusion reactions, transmission of infection, and of course, iron overload. A recent randomized controlled trial and a retrospective study have demonstrated that prophylactic transfusion decreased the incidence of maternal painful crises, but actually did not influence fetal or maternal outcome. A systematic review indicated that there's actually insufficient evidence to draw conclusions about the role of transfusion in pregnancy done on a routine or prophylactic basis. However, this is different than top-up transfusions, which may be indicated for women with sickle cell presenting with acute anemia. Acute anemia may be attributed to transient red blood cell aplasia, acute splenic sequestration, or to an infection. There is no absolute level at which transfusion should be undertaken, and the decision must be made in conjunction with clinical findings, but in general, a hemoglobin level that is about 9 or under can be considered a guide for transfusion, but some studies and some professional societies, like the Royal College of OBGYN in the UK, actually have a lower hemoglobin threshold of 6. Remember, this is different than an exchange transfusion when acute chest syndrome is suspected or diagnosed, exchange transfusion has demonstrated to be effective and is considered best practice for that sickle cell complication. 
Okay, when we come back, let's talk about the management of acute sickle crisis. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Women with sickle cell who become unwell should have sickle cell crisis excluded as a matter of urgency. Pregnant women presenting with acute painful crisis should be rapidly assessed by a multidisciplinary team, including the obstetrician, hematologist, internal medicine, and pain management specialist. Women admitted with sickle cell disease should be looked after by this multidisciplinary team throughout the admission. The requirement for fluids and oxygen should not be understated. Thromboprophylaxis should also be given to women admitted to the hospital with acute painful crisis. Painful crisis is the most frequent complication of sickle cell disease during pregnancy, with between 27 and 50% of women having a painful crisis during pregnancy. It's actually the most frequent cause of hospital admissions for these patients. Mild pain can be managed in the community with rest, oral fluids, and Tylenol. NSAIDs should be used only between 12 and 28 weeks. Now, primary care physicians should have a low threshold for referring women to the hospital or to the OBGYN physician if a severe crisis is suspected, especially if chest pain or chest syndrome is suspected. Examination should focus on the side of pain, any atypical features of the pain, and precipitating factors. In particular, were there any signs of infection? Initial investigation should include a full blood count, a reticulocyte count, and renal function. Other investigations will depend on the clinical scenario, but they can include blood cultures, chest x-ray, urine culture, and of course, liver function tests. Initial pain control should be given quickly after the patient is first assessed, ideally within 30 minutes, since uncontrolled pain can also increase tachycardia and make the pain crisis even worse. Women with pain should initially be monitored at 20-minute intervals for pain severity, respiratory rate, and sedation, especially if they're on opioids. Women whose pain settles after oral analgesia can be discharged home if no other source of infection or other comorbid condition exists. Now, if the woman needs strong opiate therapy, they will need to be admitted to the hospital and placed under careful watch to prevent opioid sedation. A quick word about the CBC obtained from these patients during a crisis. White blood cell counts are often raised in sickle cell disease and may not necessarily indicate infection. That's why it's important to keep a low index of suspicion for clinical infection. That can include signs like fever or redness or erythema at a certain site or other parts of the history like consistent cough that's productive or anything else that may be out of the norm. Thromboprophylaxis, again, should be provided to women with sickle cell disease who are admitted to the hospital with painful crisis since in some studies, the risk of VTE is actually increased. Lastly, a quick word about patients in crisis with chest pain. Remember, because of this increase in VTE risk, there is an increased risk for pulmonary embolism among women presenting with chest pain, especially if they're hypoxic. So in women presenting with acute hypoxia, there should be a low threshold for considering pulmonary embolism as a possible diagnosis.
All right, let's start wrapping up this podcast when we come back talking about intrapartum care and a quick word about postpartum management. Regarding delivery, there are no randomized trials to dictate the appropriate timing of delivery. But studies from the U.S., the U.K., Jamaica, and even Africa have highlighted the increased perinatal mortality, particularly during the later stages of pregnancy, in part owing to the complications of sickle cell disease. The risks of abruption, preeclampsia, peripartum cardiomyopathy, and acute sickle cell crises are all increased and unpredictable. Therefore, it is consensus opinion. Remember, that's level C opinion, that because of these high-risk conditions, delivery of the baby between 38 to 39 weeks of gestation can be considered in those that have recurrent high-frequency sickle cell crises, delivery as early as 36 weeks may be indicated. Obstetrical professional societies support vaginal delivery as a recommended mode of delivery with the need of cesarean being based on obstetric indications. During labor, regional anesthesia is not contraindicated and is recommended for pain control. After delivery, the baby can be checked for sickle cell disease if the baby is at high risk. That means if the partner's carrier status was undetermined or unknown. Postpartum, it's important to maintain maternal oxygen saturation and provide adequate hydration, either oral or if oral intake is not being tolerated, then IV hydration. Because of the increased thromboembolic risk in these patients, it is reasonable to offer low molecular weight heparin in the postpartum period and for seven days after vaginal delivery and up to six weeks following a C-section. In terms of postpartum contraception, progesterone-containing contraceptives like the progestin-only pill, the injectable contraceptives like Depo-Provera, or the insert like Nexplanon, or the intrauterine device that contains levonorgestrel are all safe and effective in sickle cell disease. Well, that's a wrap. We have covered sickle cell disease in pregnancy. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.